ten dollars. Yeah? yeah. Hi, and welcome back to another exciting episode, Fuck, man, of the Dollar Menu Mid Carters. That's two meals. <laughs> well, three meals for thirty fucking dollars, and I know Cl- a person. Klein's not going to like to hear this. Yeah, uh, he's a big Taco Bell fan, but All right. the well, prices are high at Taco Bell. Well, it's ten a person. You well, can go to McDonald's. Okay. Get two Big Macs. Two Big for $5. Macs. Five dollars. I feel we veered off course, but carry on. So really, you could get six Big Macs if you wanted. Yeah. For fifteen dollars. This is. Man, thirty fucking dollars for two Mexican pizza meals, and what'd you get the crunch wrap meal? Crunch wrap, yep. Fuck. And uh, we're gonna have to up this uh, Patreon content numbers because uh, if I'm gonna have Taco Bell, it's gonna have to come from somewhere, and uh, each tier raise up five dollars a piece. Oh Christ! I'm so missing. we're live, getting ready. We're in the Taco Bell drive-through here. And we uh, figured we'd. Uh, we record the intro early to the Dylan Hales interview because we're running a little late. We got the posters yeah. for. Well, they're gonna hear. What, like, no, they're gonna, hear, put this they're gonna out hear this early next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but so. I mean, it's it's just this is the point. Yeah. Like our yes. interviews in a bit, we're trying to. Our get interviews dinner. in twenty eight minutes. We got to get this food, get back to my house, eat, eat and then Man. get them. Fucking office depot screwed us. Yeah. Nah, they didn't. We screw were us. there for a while. 20 or 30 minutes and then they were like I think we're out of paper they, they, yeah yeah, we're out of paper here at the office depot they didn't ask us any questions about like I had had a conversation with Klein about card stock and making this thing but, oh we gotta pay for the food alright we, we'll keep this rolling yeah we're not because I have some questions about the price of this meal <laughs> leave these people alone there you Just go give me your card <laughs> thank you watch that drink yep. carrier See, that's the, that's that's what you get. This is the price. in these thirty dollars sodas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, You're fucked. A disaster. Uh, hopefully, this will be as funny to other people yeah. as it is to me. But uh, yeah, so we did that. We are now getting dinner Goodbye, on the way. Thirty dollars, just like that. Poof. Jackson is lamenting this thirty dollar. That's uh, three Dugo shades. This just cost. <laughs> Hey, come on, man. New Year positive us. I'm positive he works for $10. So I'm still being positive. Oh, and we almost just got hit by this dude. Cool, bud. Take us out. Thank you. And there's the card back. Hi. This is Gateway to Anarchy Week going swimmingly so far. No, not really, because this morning my wife had a flat tire, and uh, I had to spend three hours, no, not three hours, two hours, Fixing it and making sure everything went. Yeah, the uh, car okay. almost fall on you. Yeah, the car almost fell on me because like we're on like a slant <laughs> in our parking lot, and so it. Uh, I went to uh, loosen one of the nuts, and uh, it just the car rocked, tipped over the um, jack it was on, bent it a little bit, which is great, and then uh, fell back onto the tire that it was on. So cool, 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 cool. Oh man. So we're about to interview Dylan Hales. I hope you're excited. I've never talked to this gentleman. Never met him in my life. I never will. I, yeah, I probably never will. Unless they do another one of those uh, uh, IWTV roundups in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, was he there? Yeah. Oh, I so probably did, did meet him. Yeah, you idiot. Fuck! You moron. All right, we're going to have to cut this. <laughs> I re-recorded. I refuse to look like a fool in front of these people. Uh... Look at that. They're slapping together those Mexican pizzas, and they're beautifully, I bet. 
Oh, here he comes. Thank you. You too. Alright. Should we get him in a gold-plated fucking thing? Oh, yeah. This oh, there's Klein in there right now, even. <laughs> this is working out well. Yeah. Let this nice gentleman go. Hit him. And, uh, well, guys, we'll see you on the other side of this Dylan Hales interview. Thanks for uh, listening, as always. And we'll hit uh, the plugs at the end. Unless we hit him at the beginning. So, we're back with Dylan Hales. Um, of course, in the room, as always, is myself, Matt, and Gary, who will not be uh, quiet because he's a cunt. And, uh, Dylan, how's your day going? Oh, it's great. The temperature dropped, like, uh, 20 degrees while I was walking around outside. And, uh, like an idiot, I decided to stay outside to record with you guys. So I am literally, as we're recording, my foot is practically touching the Tennessee River here in Chattanooga. But, uh, it's cool to do it. I'm actually really excited. This is one of the only wrestling-related podcasts I listen to. Oh, um, there's, like, maybe, there's maybe three that I listen to, and this is one of them. Hell yeah! What are the uh, what are the other ones? Uh, I listen to sometimes. I will listen to the AIW podcast, not regularly, but semi regularly. I'll listen to that, and then there are a couple friends of mine, uh, Quentin Moody and uh, Timothy, do a show on the We Don't Know Wrestling feed that just sort of covers independent wrestling, Japanese wrestling, stuff like that. That's not sort of mainstream. Uh, they watch a lot of stuff, they review it, make sort of editorial comments on things, so I'll listen to that too. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Now this AIW podcast, what's that about? Why don't you tell <laughs> me about that? Let's give them a plug. They probably need it. Yeah, they're they're really hurting bad. I imagine. <laughs> they're, re- they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And, and, uh, no, AIW's great. Like, I, uh, I have kind of a uh, different take on, I think, independent wrestling in general than... Uh, a lot of people in the sense that I don't buy into this idea that the talent is magically not that good right now. I think that's total bullshit. I actually think there's more talent now than ever. Uh, the problem is that it's, there's, you know, it's, there's not a lot of top clear stars. Uh, we're in a different era in that way. And one of the things I appreciate about AIW and, uh, even though this sounds like ass kissing, it really isn't, uh, St. Louis anarchy and journey too, for that matter is, like, these are shows that create their own guys. They don't purely rely on who the five, six, seven, eight biggest names are, which I think was a terrible business strategy for a lot of places, and a lot of places are suffering now because they relied on that so much. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think one cool thing about AIW's business model is they kind of they did things really smart. I feel like they brought in a lot of big indie talent while they established their students from their school so that kind of like drew in some people and then they were able to nudge out like the real big indie stars, create their own stars and still hold their audience, which obviously makes them probably more profitable than what some other places might be. Oh, it's a hundred. I mean, Dom is a great example. I mean, Dominic Greeny is like full disclosure. He's one of the guys that helps healthy runs up. So, you know, I'll probably be mad. I said that publicly, but I think enough people know that privately so that it's whatever. But Dom is a great example. One of his first probably 20 matches in his career was against Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> so, like, like how many promoters are going to put a guy with that little experience in the ring against who was at the time arguably the best technician on the planet? I mean, not many. So uh, they, they definitely make the mo- made the most out of the, the names they had while they sort of created their own guys underneath. Right. 
Right. I'll just disagree because I think Dom is terrible. Probably one of the worst <laughs> human beings alive. One of the worst wrestlers I've ever seen. And if I were to get in a cage with him, I'd probably beat him up myself. You tell that fifth grade high school teacher that I'm coming for him. So you don't want to wrestle him in a match. <laughs> you want him in the cage. I want him in the cage. The Punjambi prison cage. Uh, All the way to do it. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that was like a false narrative people used to, to put on it because not everything was so accessible as it is like literally last year and this year will will kind of really, I think, bring about kind of a golden age of wrestling because now every, there's like, as someone who used to tape trade, it's it's almost not a thing anymore. It, it probably isn't. What? You don't have to. It's all yeah, you don't, that's what I'm saying. So like... It's now, crazy. It's crazy. Right? So, like, now, like, people will see, like, you know, indie wrestling, and this is going to sound crazy, to me, was still kind of a territorial thing. Just because of some guys, no matter how good or bad, never left their area. And as someone who used to travel a lot, like, I would go, and Matt would go, and Gary would go. But, uh, you know, I can tease him. You want to you turn that off there, Chief? Yeah. Jackson, again, forgets to turn his phone on silent like an asshole. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but no, like, joke aside, like, you know, you would go to these places. You'd find these really good people. But then you're like, hey, you know, where else do you wrestle? I'm like, oh, you know, just here for whatever reason. And I'm not here to say whether you travel or not is a thing. See you, Gary. I think the fact that you're able to, you know, see these people on streaming services that really kind of shows just the depth that indie wrestling has to offer nowadays. Oh, it's totally, there will never be another like Sabu type guy again, which I, in some ways I think is a bad thing. You know, I'm, I'm 38. So I grew up like going to Crockett shows and then WCW shows all the time in South Carolina, which is where I lived when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I remember and everything back then, everything was filtered through the aftermath or other magazines. That was the equivalent of the internet in those days. And that's, yeah. you know, I, I, I told this story the other day on Twitter, but, uh, because Liger's retiring, but when he, in 92, I saw him live for the first time. And I literally taught myself how to tape trade because of how cool I thought Jushin Liger was. I remembered that there were pin pals you could find in new wave wrestling in the back of the magazine. And that, you know, so there was probably like some 40 year old, like guy, my age now pervert who was, uh, maybe had ulterior motives in sending me stuff. I don't know. But that was, that was sending me my, my first new Japan tapes when I was, before I was even 11. And that like that era of discovery where like a guy like Sabu is somebody you read about as lore is over. And there's a part of me that laments that because it was so, that was really cool. But the flip side of that is a guy like, there's no excuse for people now not to realize that Jeremy Wyatt is one of the best wrestlers on earth. Because you can go to IWTV, cheap plug for my employer, and and watch, you know, all this stuff he's done in St. Louis Anarchy and, and Journey and even a few other places. And it's like, if this was if this was the mid nineties, he just would have been a name in a magazine at most, at most. Yeah, you definitely. It's interesting because this is a conversation I have a lot with Walter about like getting out the Journey shows faster. Is the uh, the flip side is now, man, if you can't get these shows out within like 72 hours after they happen, you've almost completely missed the uh, 
the cycle of it. it. Like how before you would wait, like, oh, I can't wait for the PWG DVD to come out so I can order it and watch it. And it would be like maybe six weeks that you're waiting to see this show where nowadays it's, if you're not able to get this shit out within three days, it's almost like, well, if I've missed the whole cycle, because now 20 other shows have come on since then. And there's promoting another 20 the next weekend. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a huge, it's uh, like, it's, it's a ton of pressure. Like, and like, it's weird for me because I am, I help, I'm involved directly really in three shows. So I'm involved in the Phoenix City shows and I'm involved in Southern Underground Pro and I'm involved in Action Wrestling which runs just south of Atlanta. And all three of them have very different models and I think very different presentations too, actually. But, um, and, but at the same time, I also work for IWTV, so I see both ends of it. Like, on the promoter end and, like, the creative end, if, you're, if your show is out, like, and it, if, if you're, you know, three weeks after the fact and your show's not out, you're pulling your hair out going, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We're buried beneath all this other content. It doesn't matter that we had three great matches and this great angle or whatever. But the flip side of that is, you know, when you work on the, on the IWTV end, like a big part of what I do is churn the content out. And it's like, I, I similarly get promoters where they'll send a show and, you know, they, 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 maybe they haven't sent me the graphic or they haven't sent me a match list or there was something wrong with a file and they're freaking out. And it's only been 36 hours, you know, but it's right. like you said, they want it out immediately because of, because the bind is there. Right. So you had brought you had said something at the beginning that I found interesting, where you had mentioned that there's not that that people say there's not a lot of indie stars, and and I, I agree with you. I think that there are. Um, a big debate now, I guess, is like the style of wrestling. Like, what's your take on that? For instance, the uh, spot that what were those guys' names? Blake Christensen and. Um, uh, Jordan Oliver. There we go. We're getting names right. Well, because I know that kid from Atlanta because I was on a show with him. Like, I think it's interesting now how in, like, wrestling, how... So, actually, I think the, the umbrella is uh, social media in wrestling. Like, I think that social media has done just enough, like, it's hurt wrestling as much as it help, has helped it. What What do you think on about that? I think that is 100% true. Social media is, uh, it giveth and it taketh away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, setting aside the obvious fact that people who will destroy their careers by saying things that are very, very unwise. Right. You also have people who, who get their careers destroyed through no fault of their own. Some people that may be adjacent to this podcast. And, you know, you have other things that, like, like then you have stuff like that, where my, my big criticism is, I'm sort of in a weird position because I grew up on the uh, on territory wrestling. That's what I watched. I'm older than a lot of guys that are involved in independent wrestling now, which doesn't, which feels weird to me because I don't see myself as that old, but I just am objectively. And I, I, so a lot of the stuff that people do now, I do think is too much. Or it's like for my personal aesthetic taste, do I necessarily love every bit of what we saw in that Jordan Oliver versus Blake Christian exchange? No, I don't. Do I think they were wrong or foolish to do it? No, I don't. And the, and the, and the evidence of that is that it blew up as much as it is, and I guarantee you both those guys are going to get booked more off of it. Um, does, does that mean that I want to see them do that spot a hundred times now and it become like a meme that they have to go to? God, I hope not. 
Like I like that's always my concern is I I work like there's way too many guys on the independent that wrestle purely for the gifts. They just want to be gifts or like they just want, and I get why they do it. I get why they do it because there's this idea that that is what that is the easiest way to sort of skip in line, right? Mm-hmm. But and, and and there is a lot of truth to that. Having said that. I don't think it's the only path. I think one thing that I try to instill in anybody that I work with, particularly people that I know are frustrated is there's not just one path. Everybody's path is a little bit different. And also whether this, I mean, I don't love this because some of my favorite wrestlers in the world are guys who I think are very overlooked in a lot of ways. Wyatt would be an example. Daniel McCabe is another. Um, although I think that's changing really with both of them to one degree or another, but Wrestling is not a meritocracy. That is also a myth. Like, do do I think in an ideal world it should be? Yes. Do I think, generally speaking, the cream in this era is going to rise to the top? Yes, I do. But you have to be willing to network. I think these there's so many guys who like get bitter and they want to pretend like like if they can just through force of will make wrestling what it was five or ten or fifteen or twenty years ago. That's not going to happen. You know, like, uh, I'm not going to turn this into a political show, God forbid, but I'm an anarchist. You know, I don't e- I don't even believe in standing armies. Do I pay federal income tax every year that I know is going to go to stuff I don't believe in? Yes, because I don't want to go to jail. If you're a pro wrestler, should you network even if you think it cheapens you sometimes? Yes, because otherwise you're not going to get booked. Like, that's just the reality of it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that. I think what's interesting about social media that's bad is when we talk about the spot that everyone was debating about, I think it's okay to say that, like, I don't, it's not my cup of tea. It's a whole other thing when you got these guys who personally attack people. And that's what drives me nuts about the whole social media thing, is you can dislike something but not attack somebody as a human being. And another thing, too, about gifts that I, I agree with you on that, too, which makes me think about stuff like back in, uh, like Brian Danielson's Ring of Honor title run. W- would Brian Danielson, if he came along today, like it would take him longer, I think, to to break out because he wasn't a gifable guy. Like you have to sit there and watch him wrestle 30, 40 minutes and really appreciate this guy's in ring work. Where nowadays, I think because there is just so much content, there are a lot of times people do just watch GIFs to kind of see okay, this show looks like it's good, and maybe I'll actually give the full show a watch. Where people, like Wyatt's a perfect example of that. Jeremy Wyatt, you have to sit there and watch him work and watch the story unfold in front of you to really appreciate how good a guy like that is. But guys that wrestle that way, it might take them a little bit longer for other people to kind of catch up and realize how good someone like him is. I I, to, I totally agree with that. I think it it it's it it sucks, and but I also don't know what way there is around it other than to get these guys on shows and brands that matter. Like that's probably the closest thing to a solution you're going to find. Be, be, like, it, I, look, I wish more independent wrestling fans were instinctively drawn to the sort of slow building psychology style that I prefer. You know, uh, I, I wish that was the case. And that's not the only style I like. I actually like a lot of stuff. But I do wish that more fans were just sort of instinctively drawn to that. Um, but what I have discovered is that 
fans often are way more appreciative of that than they realize if they allow themselves to be. Like the, the best example I can think of is uh, so this year at the Scenic City Invitational in 2019, I, I guess last year actually, we did Daniel Macabe versus Tony Deppin in the first round. And there's one high spot in the match. One. The whole, the whole match builds to a dive. Then they go in and they basically go to a finish shortly after that. And it's all grappling. And it was one of those matches where in the crowd, you've got people who are very accustomed to sort of a go-go modern style where everybody's doing runs and, and you know, everything's off the ropes and <laughs> there's collecting near falls, like uh, it, all of the above. Plus you've got your local fans who are watching it almost looking for like a Tennessee wrestling product. And it was weird. It was like a, a flip, uh, you know, a switch flipped about halfway through that match where everybody in the crowd realized they were watching something special. And those are my favorite kinds of matches where maybe instinct, maybe at the very beginning you don't quite get it, but over time you get it. And I do think there's a bigger audience for that on the independence than people realize, but it can't be captured in a GIF. You know, I mean, that's, that's not possible. Right. So like my example of that would be uh, Shire versus... Well, let's just go back to him. Fuck, Wyatt. That was a solid wrestling match that told a very interesting story because coming into it, Wyatt's a heel and Shire's a heel who just had his moment. So now he's not quite a heel, but he still kind of is because Greg, his manager's with him. And like, I watched that match and like, I was like, oh, like, do you see that little ankle pick? And like, that's something I noticed, but the fans probably didn't. But by the end of it, you could tell, like, you know, the phones go down, the eyes come up. And, like, they're like, holy shit, yeah, okay, oh. And watching, I don't like, to me, it's almost interesting to watch the fans watch matches like that, you know? Where you can see them come alive in the story. And to me, that's exciting. It's, it's, it probably is my favorite thing about being involved in the creative process of wrestling. Even if I had nothing to do with putting a match together, <laughs> it's still watching that moment in the fans where... Maybe they, they start off indifferent, or indifferent might even be too strong. They, they start off not fully, like, they, they haven't, you know, you haven't fully figured out what's happening. And then there's, like, that light bulb moment where it goes off and people realize, oh, my God, this is what they're doing, you know? Right. Because that's another thing about, about wrestling. Like, there's so many guys that are like, oh, like, you hear this all the time. I'm sure you guys deal with this all the time. Oh, well, we, we should do this because it's surprising or because it'll shock people. That's a fucking terrible reason to do anything in wrestling. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, like. Ultimately, I was taught. Uh, I had somebody tell me this a long time ago. Uh, well, wasn't that long ago, but th- uh, several years ago, when I first got more involved on this end of the wrestling business, that the goal is not to shock people just to shock them or surprise them. Usually, the goal is to give people what they want, but in a way they didn't see coming. And I thought that was a great way of putting it, and that's something that I've always tried to hold on to. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I want to get your take on this. Is it's also to go with like the whole shock and watching people with the story. Is I talked about this. A, I don't remember. It was a few few podcasts ago. Uh, actually, no, it was at the Christmas party. We did a live podcast for Patreon. But um, it's interesting because if you read social media a lot, I guess at least when it comes to like the WWE product. It seems like fans want instant instant gratification. Like they don't like to follow the story, or at least parts of the story they don't like. So I talked about like on the creative level that sometimes you you don't struggle with it because once I 
once I build a story, that's the direction we're going to go unless the people just stop buying tickets. <laughs> but uh, my example is we we just did, we did War Horse and Jeremy Wyatt for the Gateway Heritage title in July. And everybody in that building thought that was going to be War Horse's night. So you seen the people react when it didn't go that way and they, they were very unhappy. And it's interesting to like see that, but it's also being on the creative side with people that want instant gratification. Now it's almost like they don't look at it and go, Ooh, this story has more layers. I want to follow this. Instead they go, or at least some, I don't like, I don't umbrella everybody, but a lot of fans will go, Oh, this isn't what I wanted. Fuck this. I'm canceling my subscription. So it's interesting to like, when you book out everything I always do it in a way where if I know I'm taking something big away, I sprinkle in stuff that I know there you know people are gonna like to hopefully avoid that we're gonna cancel our season tickets and our patreon subscription uh, that you know that's actually a great point and i'm I'm, I'm gonna be full disclosure uh, totally honest at the time I thought man Warhorse should have won you know, I watch every St. Louis Anarchy show, and not just because it's part of my job, but because I actually like what you guys do. And I thought, fuck, Warhorse should have won. And this is coming from probably, other than maybe you, Matt, the biggest Jeremy Wyatt mark on earth. <laughs> so, like, I, like by, by no means is it a knock on Jeremy Wyatt. It just felt like it was the right time. Um, having said that, my response, you know, watching it with fan eyes, was not to be like, fuck St. Louis Anarchy, what are they thinking, blah, blah, blah. Like, at, like there was a couple hours where I was like, I don't know, I think this is a mistake. And then it was like, huh, I wonder what the hell he's got up his sleeve because he's obviously committed to doing something, right? Like, obviously there's a reason why this is happening That is that, and there's something down the road. So I'm able to flip that switch a little bit better, but you're right, some people can't do that. They, they hold on to that. I think part of it is just the immediacy of TV. I think TV in general lends itself to that. I, um, but you do see that on the independent level, too. I mean, like, I remember at Southern Underground Pro, we decided, um, you know, uh, our first champion was Kurt Stallion. We did a, you know, then Dominic Greeny beat him, and Dom sort of went on a run, and uh, we decided we were going to do an angle to put the belt on Marco Stunt just for one show in a way that would totally protect Dom because he'd already wrestled a match and it was like a cash-in situation, which is overdone, but there was a reason to do it. Um, and But a big part of the reason we did that is because we'd done so many shows that ended it up where the heels had been out on top. I felt strongly that we couldn't do it again. I was like, we have, for God's sake, the baby face has to win sometimes. Like, and it, Because if you don't do that, you're you're putting yourself in a bad position. Um, it doesn't always have to be in the main event, but that is something that you constantly have to be cognizant of. It's it sucks because in theory, I don't think you I don't think there's any booking rule that says you have to do that in the abstract. But I think in reality, with the way people are now, like you said, if you're not given, you can't have a show anymore that is all about taking away to set things up. You there, every show has to give a little bit. Uh, you have to at least give a little bit to to the crowd um, that is purely just you know to, to feed their immediate desire. Um, I, the key is to balance it with stuff that you have to do for long term storytelling because ultimately 
that's the name of the game. I mean, at the end of the day, when Jeremy Wyatt wins, because I assume he's not going to retire with the title, although I guess it's theoretically possible, or when he loses, rather, it's going to be even bigger now. And I think that's the thing that people sometimes don't see is, okay, he got past this guy, he got past that guy. Hell, he's got by everybody. What? But imagine what it's going to be like. Imagine that moment when he loses, whether he loses it in Spalding Hall or, or Kansas Hall or whatever. Like, imagine that moment when he loses now. It's going to be insane. Yeah, I I definitely agree with the whole emotional roller coaster of things. Like, we've done that a few times with Wyatt where, like, the belt wasn't the main event for that particular show. So, like, we did Nick Gage and Gary as a main event. We did Warhorse and Nick Gage as a main event. The idea being, like, I don't want to always send the fans home upset or mad. Otherwise, they're going to equate coming to Anarchy with, well, every time we leave here, it's fun, but we're pissed off. So, we, you know, we maybe, we, maybe we don't come back. I, uh... I try to like keep that roller coaster going, but give a different like getting off point at the end where they're either happy or sad or whatever. But um, I'm real big on moments too, where uh, like and even if they're little moments, like we just had one it had to be September where uh, Nick Gage is calling out Wyatt and Wyatt comes through the crowd with no music and you can just hear the fans come up as Wyatt's walking to the ring. Like, moments like that are probably why I keep doing this. Because, I mean, I've been doing this for a pretty long time now, and that, I think, is what keeps me doing it, is to get those kind of moments and watch them play out. There's nothing like it. You know, like, I like this year at Scenic City, at the Scenic City Invitational on night two this year, we had done a deal, which we've never done, where there was a draw in the first round on night one between Joey Lynch and Anthony Henry, who a lot of people sort of equate as the Scenic City guys, you know? And um, we did a 20-minute draw with those guys, and on night two, uh, you know, that meant that the scramble match has always been there where the idea would be that the winner either gets to pick their number of entry in our Rumble show, or if there is a draw, they automatically get the spot in the tournament rather than have a bye. Right. And we did, I didn't announce uh, Warhorse. I didn't want anybody to know he was there. I kept it as much of a secret as possible. And I, I, I told the, the rest of the guys at IWTV, I told Jerry and Paul, I was like, the first thing I want people to see when the show starts, there can be a moment where Dominic Guarini's music is still kind of playing. But the first thing I want people to see is, is Warhorse come out the curtain. And that, like, it, it was done pretty well, and he got a huge, huge, huge pop. And, like, when that happened, I was like, yep, this is exactly what I wanted. And it, that moment, to me, was hugely gratifying, not just for my own ego, although I'm, I'm more than willing to admit that's part of it. I'm not a fucking altruist, you know. But also for, 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 for Jake. For, I mean, like, the guy has earned it, you know. He's, he's earned those moments. Um, a lot of these guys have, and I want them to have those moments where like, maybe you have some doubt because I know for a fact he had doubts that he was good. I, I know he had doubts that it was going to matter. He told me, I, I don't know if they're going to react that big. And I'm like, I promise you it's going to be big. And it was, and I, I love those things in wrestling. That's a hundred percent, both as a fan and somebody involved in it. That's what I, that's what I want. Yeah, we had the same thing when we did Gary, Nick Gage, uh, with them as the main event. Gage kept going, man, I'm the main event. You think I'm going to, like, you think people are going to care? It's going to be that over? And I was like, dude, 
Trust me, I was like, this is going to be fucking huge. <laughs> People have been waiting for this. <laughs> um, we got to take a quick break. We got to save where we are. So we'll be right back. We and are we're back. back. Good God. Jinx, you, all right? you owe me a Coke. Um, actually, there's something I did want to say that I forgot to say earlier. Is To go back to your guys' points about the cream rising to the top and gifable wrestlers. Is it something uh, we talked about with Rose for a little bit. Whereas being gifable is great. But once you get that booking, you have to provide more than that. Like gifable is great for you and your brand as a wrestler. But as a promoter... You can't just have a one gift pony, I guess to say, on your card. That'd be a great shirt for one of these guys to get pony. made. Yeah, uh, that's that's <laughs> co- that patent pending. That's ours. Uh, uh, but you know what I mean. Like so, eventually those guys will will get weeded out, and people like Jeremy Wyatt will come up. Well, I think, but you mean guys that are just like we don't I don't want to make it sound like we're talking about the two guys in that no, spot. No, no, no. Yeah, just, yeah, no, no. If you are a guy that's just gifable mm-hmm. and you bring no other substance, yeah, I agree with that. You probably will get weeded out. Yeah. And no, and for the record, like I've got Blake Christian booked on an upcoming show for us. I think he's phenomenal, you he's know. Like it, it like I by, by no means do I think poorly of him. I think he's an excellent talent and like uh he's one of these guys that is an exciting high flyer as opposed to high flyer number 112 who does <laughs> who right. just does all the mm-hmm. same stuff everybody else does, which is kind of a gimmick, especially in the South, you know? So, like, I, he's very, very distinct. But I agree with that. And actually, like, uh, I'll just use him as an example because, you know, it's, this, it's a Submission Squad podcast, for God's sake. Why wouldn't I? Gary is a good example of a guy who is often very gifable, but... He can go. Like, it's not just the gifts. Like, you can see some crazy-ass Gary J gifts if you search for them. But if you watch the match, you'll realize, okay, it's not just these four spots. It's a bunch of other stuff that he also did in the match. It's the way the match was paced. It was the way it was built. It's the selling. It's this, that, and the other thing. As opposed, you know, as opposed to a lot of guys where you go back and watch the match and you realize that the reason those four things were gift is because that's it. There ain't shit else there. Yeah, I agree. And the thing, too, about going off the GIF, and we keep going back to this one spot because that's like the The hot hot topic, topic. is uh, Gabe put some critiques out, Gabe Sapolsky of the spot, which I appreciated that because it goes back to what I said earlier, where if you're in a leadership role in wrestling, rather you're Gabe Sapolsky, who's pretty high up on the food chain, or you're someone in the middle or on the low end, if you're looked at as a leader by anybody... You do the business a disservice by just jumping on Twitter and shitting all over these guys. Like, quite frankly, I, I, I'll mention his name. Cause you, surely he don't listen to the podcast. But Fit Finley, like, shit on these guys. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like, you're Fit Finley. Like, you're great. You could probably offer some critiques in here that, that that's more than just, you guys fucking suck. Because, I mean, look, being that athletic... They don't suck, <laughs> but right. so like if you're in a leadership position, I feel you owe it to people to be more positive because their your positivity as a leader is going to trickle down the ladder. So people that look up to you that you might not even know look up to you, or they value your opinion even if they don't like look up to you, but they they they. they what was I going with here? I uh, lost my train. Of yeah, thought. you totally did, but you were rolling, baby. 
be more positive. Positivity trickles down the ladder. So if you're on top of the food chain, it's going to trickle down the ladder to the people underneath you rather than just being negative and shitting all over people for no just for no reason. Like what what do you get out of that? Clout? Like oh. Yeah, yeah, no. I I I actually agree like so the thing about that is like first of all there's two like general comments I would have in response one of which is kind of amusing and the other is actually relevant. So I'll, I'll, I'll make the amusing comment first which is that I think the wrestling gods really struck back at a vengeance on Fifth Finley because the day after he did that quote retweet shitting on those guys he was uh, uh, one of the guys that had to pull apart that wedding angle on Raw. So I don't think uh, the moral grandstanding over the sanctity of pro wrestling and its credibility is, is anything Fit Finley's in a position to be commenting on, even though I happen to think he's absolutely tremendous and as good a pro wrestler as there's ever been. Yeah. Um, but, but, but my other comment would be, I always feel weird about offering criticism in a way, because I, I was never a worker. You know, I trained to be a ref for like three weeks when I was 17 years old, and I basically was like, screw this, I'd rather do music, you know? So I would, like, I, I totally sort of stumbled into the wrestling business in, behind the scenes in a way that was very weird and not at all normal. Uh, and very, very quickly, I was involved in doing a lot of stuff, and a big part of the reason that it happened so fast is because I'm very much a do-it-yourself person coming out of the punk hardcore scene, and I felt like there was no infrastructure in the Southeast to get eyes on guys, and that really, really bothered me, so I just kind of took it upon myself once the ball was given to me to run with it as far as I could get away with. But I, it, it makes me feel weird sometimes when guys ask for critiques, but not weird enough not to give them. And I always try to mix, like, the negatives and the positives. And I, I always tell guys, I look, I never work. I can't tell you how to make your lockup better per se. I can't show you. But I can tell you if it looks like shit. And I can't show you, uh, like, or, or physically demonstrate to you how to improve your footwork. But I can tell you when it's off really bad. Like, uh, you know, so I, I'm not the person that can necessarily teach you to make you better. But I can tell you when it's bad. Uh, and But more than that, I, I always try to mix the good and the bad with any critique or any comment I get for anybody. Like, I don't, I hate when I, I, like, I don't feel comfortable coming to a guy and just saying, this was dog shit, you suck, uh, you know, fuck off. See you next like, month. I, <laughs> you, you've got to give people something. Um, because first of all, otherwise, why waste your time even critiquing it at all? If you just think it sucks, just don't comment. It's not worth your time. You know, like I, I it, it, there's so many things. If, if somebody has potential and they're worth commenting on and they're worth engaging with, they probably did do some things that are pretty decent too. So take the time to explain to them, this is something good about what you do. Enhance this, figure out how to utilize this more. Um, it, you know, like, and here's the five things you did that sucked. And here's, you know, maybe who you should study to get better. My, my latest thing is to tell everybody to, to uh, study Cabana Man Dan if they want to learn how to sell. Because there's so few, there's so many baby faces on the indies now where they either completely die, the concept of registering doesn't even exist to them, or they, you know, they're, they take something big and they're up like two seconds later and there's never any moment where you feel like they're vulnerable. But like you should always be trying to give guys something something to work with, not just shit getting flung at them. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like if you get... You should never give critiques just to be negative. And there are people who will do that. Who will just want to, hey, I want to fucking throw my power around. So they'll fucking just bury somebody for no reason in the locker room. But, so, there are many different thoughts I have on it. Like, one thought is that. You don't just critique somebody to be an asshole. Like, just to belittle them. I'll say, though, that, like, if someone's just terrible... I do think, though, that you sit them down. You don't have to be an asshole to them. But you explain to them that there are many jobs in pro wrestling that need to be done that don't happen inside of the 18-by-18 uh, 18 ring. <laughs> so That's true. And you try to, like, maneuver them that direction. Like, I would tell somebody, if, if, if we booked them on pre-show or something and they were just bad, I would have no problem sitting them down and politely telling them, look, there's not going to be a job for you here as a wrestler. But we have all these other things and all these other cogs in the machine that make this run, and we'd be happy to have you help out if you want to be a part of it. Because I do think that that's how... When, when people don't do that, that's how you end up with somebody as one of these 15-year veterans in your area that are god-awful. Now, now, they'll go somewhere else and wrestle, but... I think you at least owe it to try to get them not to do that by trying to lead them a different way. And as far as the not being a wrestler thing, I don't know. Like There are people that subscribe to that mindset. I don't necessarily agree with it. Like How many five-star pro wrestling matches has did Paul Heyman ever have, Bell to Bell, or Gabe Sapolsky ever have? Like People who are looked at as good creative people in wrestling... Even if you don't know how to execute an arm drag or a hip toss, I, I, I still think that if you can provide the tools to help take an audience on an emotional roller coaster through pro wrestling, then you have the credentials to do the job. And that comes in all different ways. And so I don't know. I don't agree with the whole if you, if you never took a bump, you shouldn't be telling people what to do. Like that's. I don't know. There's a lot of people that manage baseball teams that never played in the major leagues, so I, I don't agree with that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, the, first of all, I, I have stupidly taken a couple of bumps, including in, in, in a very idiotic decision uh, calling uh, uh, a curb stop in the ring when a, a bump looked badly, that which I will never do again. But uh, <laughs> that was very dumb. <laughs> but the, the uh, uh, I mean, peak stupid. But the other thing is like, and this is this will sound like I'm putting myself over, but I'm really not. It's more a general observation. I once had like, you know, actually more than once, I had Chris Hero come up to me and ask me like, what did I think of the match? What did I think he could do better? Blah, 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 blah. If Chris Hero is asking, not, not, not me, but just in general, anybody, a fan who he has respect for, somebody who's in the business who's never worked or whatever, like, then I don't necessarily want to hear about how random local vet X is above getting criticism from a fan <laughs> like, right. or, or from, you know, a, a booker or uh, a promoter or whoever who's never worked a match. Um, I, I, I feel confident in saying that Chris hero is probably pretty good because he wants the criticism and, and thrives off of what he gets to get better. I agree. I'm also in Chris Hero's fantasy basketball league. All right, year. just, just, to, drop, just to drop that name real Jesus. quick on the podcast. <laughs> Such an asshole. 
Uh, well, so I think that that opens it up to a wider talk that I've kind of had with a couple of people is that uh, not the, the, the not taking advice from fans, but like, and it goes to Fit Finley too, is that there's not really uh, a vet, I use that term in an actual way, not like, you know, local indie vet X, but like there's not actually like a veteran system nowadays where, you know, you can have people on the show that have been everywhere, you know? Hold on, I, I I think there is that system. I just don't think a lot of people utilize it. Well, go on, explain then. Well, okay, okay. So you take. I always use our company as an example, but mm-hmm. so I don't. But I don't think the supply is an anarchy. Like I think the younger guys do ask for advice. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're in a locker room with like Eric Cannon, you should be asking that guy for advice. And Eric Cannon, I know, is more than willing to give advice. Shit. Gary's been doing this 15 years. Vega's been doing this for 12 years. Like, there are veterans out there. You so just let me to... let me preface this by, like, saying, like, it feels like the last two generations of wrestling kind of got skipped over by the high-end vets. And I don't mean that as a negative. I mean as people who have been to the dances, people who have gone to high levels of, and I'll even give the NWA credit here, NWA, AWA, WCW, WWE, ECW. Oh, okay. I see That's what, what I mean. Like, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I've been doing this, what, 10 years? I, I can throw a saying. fucking advice column out it. time and I time again. I understand where you're going now. Like, I personally don't care for Tommy Dreamer, but he is a part of that thing, and I have seen him be helpful to younger wrestlers and give advice. Yeah, there's not... It doesn't seem like there is a lot of that. Now, I, I think some of it might be. I think a lot of younger guys... Either they fall into like one of two poles. Either they are kind of starstruck by some of these guys because there's this weird detachment now, I think, um, that maybe previously wasn't quite there. And I think another facet is some of these kids just don't know the history. I mean, like, it's insane. It's insane to me to think this. But I was at a show, and I won't say who, because uh, like I might tell you guys after we're done. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But somebody who I uh, I really, really respect, and I think is actually a great pro wrestler, confused, uh, I forget who, they, who we confused, but he confused somebody on a show with uh, Mo from Men on a Mission. And he was like, <laughs> like, that's who this is. Oh, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not who that is. And it's like, and I remember thinking, how the hell could you make that mistake? You know? And right. then I thought, oh, this guy's like 10 years younger than me or 11, 12 years younger than me. Like maybe he probably grew up a, in a completely different media environment than I did. It, like when he knew these guys, he was a different age than I was, you know, like, and also I just think in general, as more media is consumable, I think the history of wrestling farther and farther back is less and less relevant to people. Like I will occasionally you know, like on commentary, uh, you know, I'll reference like uh, Gus Sonnenberg inventing the shoulder tackle or something. And I realize it probably sounds douchey to most people listening. And I don't, I'm not, it's not even like I'm trying to be an antiquarian and just drop a trivia fact so much as I'm supposed to like, I'm, I'm trying to make some sort of connection to history. But I realize it must sound that way to a lot of people because it feels ancient and irrelevant. And I think that's a thing for a lot of guys now. Like they don't know these guys, as weird as that is to, to say. I, I have a story that a lot like that, but might even top it. When we were when we were doing NWL, we were doing we were in a town for a house show. I won't, I also won't say the person's name, 
but I was agenting the match, and I go, well, you know, it would be funny, but you could finish the person off with the Stone Cold Stunner. And this person looked dead in my eyes and went, what is that? Did not know what the Stone Cold Stunner was, because this person missed, like, do you think there are more people in wrestling now that were around watching WCW or people, more people in wrestling now that never even watched it. Like, I think there's more people that never even watched WCW because mm. they weren't even following wrestling when it was on. They might not even been alive. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's true. Like, yeah. like a hundred percent. It's not, it's not even close. And like, it's weird. The WCW thing is, is especially weird to me because that's what I grew up on more than anything. And, and like, I'll sometimes make references when I'm, you know, booking out a show because I stup- stupidly, we book my committee everywhere I am. <laughs> and, like, we, you know, when we're, and I'll sometimes make an allusion to a WCW thing. And usually the people in that group will, will, will know what I'm talking about. But if, like, a wrestler's in the room or something, like, it's not uncommon for people to have absolutely no clue what I'm talking about. I mean, none. Total deer in the headlights. Yeah, see, I, I I agree with you, but I also think going back that like the more wrestling becomes available, the more who love it and want to learn from it do go back and find gems that they couldn't normally find, and but I think that's where a distinction has to be drawn is like who just does this because they love pro wrestling and who loves pro wrestling and does and does this. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but yeah, I, I agree with you, but. A lot of these kids aren't going to know, like, oh, I got to go back and watch Monday Nitro from March 1994 because so-and-so has a great match with so-and-so. Like, And I wonder, too, how much of it is when some of these dudes who come from WCW or ECW started doing indies, like when, when, all they, when they had to start coming and doing indies, they were a different quality of a worker than what they are with some of them that are still doing indies today. So if you're a 23, 24-year-old kid and you see ECW alum whatever and they look however they look, I think in some of these kids' minds, they're not going to then go, I got to go watch this guy's work because he probably was great 20 years ago. That's why I I think where veterans come into play, like like the Eric Cannons, the Colt Cabanas, guys that were – because for a lot of these kids now – those early Mid-South days where Cabana and Shelly and all those dudes were coming in, that's like their WCW ECW. Or like the early uh, Ring of Honor is like yeah. their ECW. They I hear that a lot. Fucking alive back then. But a lot of those guys are not on the indies still. Right. Well. Then that's an issue. Shelly just came I back. I think thankfully. it's really cool that Alex Shelly's doing indies again. Like he's a guy that we brought in years ago and... Like, I, we became really cool with, and, like, that dude's got a ton of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, so it's just real interesting. And I don't think people think about that when they jump on Twitter and bury these kids, that they just, they're different age. They come, they watch different shit than what, they're, they're made, there's probably kids now, or and maybe even some of these guys that are traveling the world now, that maybe have never seen like a Harley race match bell to bell. Maybe never even watched one. Mm. It's it's a very interesting time. Yeah, I, I that that's all. I think completely true. I think that there's just a like, which is weird because 
the, availabil- the availability of the footage has never been greater. I mean, it used to be you'd have to get like an eighth generation dubbed copy through like some guy, you know, who lived halfway across the country and then you get the tape and half the shit that's supposed to be on it, it doesn't work. You know, like, and now you can just go to the WWE Network and watch half the stuff. If it's not there, you can go to YouTube. You know, like, there's there's French pro wrestling from the 1960s you can watch now. I mean, there's everything imaginable that you can watch if you want to. But I think because there's everything imaginable, the history is so dispersed just by pure volume that people don't don't know some of it. I will say this, when we had T.V. Richards in a couple times last year at Action uh, down in Atlanta, people, I did notice that there were a couple guys who were like picking his brain a little bit. And, um, you know, like, uh, that was that was cool to see. It, it wasn't like the whole locker room. It wasn't people beating down the door, which was probably good, too, because you don't want to make it totally uncomfortable. But there were a couple of guys who were going out of their way to pick his brain, which was nice to see. But it, but that's, that's an anomaly. That's actually one of the few times I've seen that. Yeah, he's a great guy, too. We brought him in and into NWL multiple times, and he, he was... He's really cool. We got to actually do right to censor with him way back in Metro Pro as the commission. That was also fun. Yeah, I got to work with him twice in two diff- as two different gar- characters. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the fucking commission and then his buddy. Um, and then on the other spectrum, you have Al Snow. <laughs> Fuck Al Snow. Ooh, what a guy. Fuck Al Snow and his pyramid scheme business. I'm going to tell a quick Al Snow story because I don't care, and it's my favorite (laughs) Al Snow story. And Al, if you're listening and you have any problems with it, as always, please hit up Heal Money Jovi on Twitter. Um, Wyatt (laughs) had worked him at a Dynamo show. This was years ago. And after the match, Wyatt goes up to Al and goes, Hey, man, thank you. I appreciate it. And Al Snow's response to him was, Pleasure was all yours. I, I will have forgotten about this match the second I walked through that door and just fucking blew Jeremy up and kept walking. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Fuck Al Snow. That's what, what sure. a guy. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about like SCI, the, the big tournament you do every year. Uh, I'm always I'm a big fan of it. I watch it every year. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to try to. I tried to make the trip this year, but I couldn't do it. Or last year. I'm yeah. going to try to make it this year. Uh, so like, just explain to people who may not know what that is and all the cool details about it. So the Scenic City Invitational is a tournament that we do here in the Chattanooga area. We do it at a public high school. Technically, it, start, it didn't start this way the very first year, but every year subsequently it, it has been. It doubles as a a fundraiser for the local athletic team at Saudi Daisy High School and a giant nerd wrestling fan show, almost convention tier type deal. Uh, That happened totally organically. It was not planned. It's a two-day event that has really expanded into even more than that because Southern Underground Pro, we usually take the day after in Nashville. Last year, Kerry Offal did a, a crux show the day before as well. We also do an afternoon show on the Saturday of, which it it never draws well, but we do it mainly to get a look at young guys and to try to create some stories and some, you know, get some of these guys in front of 
um, the, the broader sort of audience that pays attention that weekend so we can build people for the next year that maybe weren't in the tournament that year. That takes place on Saturday afternoon. So it really, last year we had five shows in just a couple of, like, uh, four days. Typically it's four shows if you count SUP. But it's a 16-person tournament. Um, the, the origins of it were basically, you know, the first year I came as a fan. I literally sat front row. I was talking to both of the promoters at the time um, pretty regularly, but I was not involved in the creative process other than maybe kind of being like, oh, oh yeah, I don't know if this will work or not. But I, I, I didn't even really know who was going to win the first year. It ended up being Jimmy Ray, but I had no, I, that's how disconnected I was from the process. By the second year, I was more or less involved, and by 2017, I was full-on, 100% part of the team, heavily involved in, in every aspect of it. Um, you know, it's it's first weekend of August, typically. This year, it's, it's going to be July 31st and August 1st, slightly different this year than normal. But, uh, I mean, it's a wild time. Uh, like, we get it, we have a hotel that basically lets us run roughshod, uh, that has a 24-hour diner affixed to it. They give us the conference room for virtually nothing because we sell out almost the entire hotel. Uh, we have people and fans that come in from, It's. I mean, it's a little bit hyperbolic to say all over the world, but we do have uh, somebody who comes from the U.K. every year. We have had people from Australia before. Uh, we have people from Canada every year. So it's while it's a little hyperbolic, not much. Um, you know, and it's, I mean, I, I personally think, uh, uh, you know, I'll pat myself on the back a little bit. I think it's different than any other wrestling tournament, which is the goal. You know, it kind of has like, we, from the very beginning, I never wanted it. It, Even when I was a fan, I didn't want this, but I, especially once I got involved the second year, I really never wanted it to be like a bola type thing because you're never going to beat PWG at their game. I don't have the, we don't have the money for it. We don't have the sort of uh, legacy or the infrastructure for it. Plus, I don't like the idea of just going out and getting the best guys who are the biggest names. That's not that's not fun. There's, that limits your storytelling opportunities, and it also puts you in a position where you can't really try to cultivate your own stars in your own narratives because um, you're sort of you're sort of subject to the whims of other bigger shows. So, what we try to do is balance the field out between guys that we sort of. Um, have been working with on SDI shows or for that matter, action and, and sub too, which I'm also involved with, uh, you know, people that are sort of in that Southern indie universe, as I put it, kind of balance them out with, you know, four, five, six, sometimes seven outsiders or bigger names and try to try to create an atmosphere where you get, you get the local flavor so that the tournament has an identity of being an actual regional you know, we're celebrating the regional pride of this area, the best wrestlers in this region, while also not pretending that it's, you know, totally divorced from the independent landscape, not so sec- not segregating it so much that nobody outside of the region cares. So, you know, we've had Nick Gage here, we've had PCO here, we had Matt Riddle here actually two years. In fact, he won in 2017. In fact, Scenic City was the first show that booked Riddle uh, we booked him in 2016. We were the first show that booked him other than Evolve and Beyond. He hadn't gone to the UK yet. He hadn't gone to PWG yet. Um, uh, and then he came back the next year and won. Uh, and, you know, like, I think in many ways that kind of elevated things even more 
for us was that we've had we had Hero in in 2016, so we've had a lot of big names, but also it's about creating guys and I think building the infrastructure. And one of the things I'm most proud about with with the FCI is I feel like we've helped the career of a lot of guys, not just guys from this area, although certainly many guys from this area, but also guys from other parts of the independence. I think if you go back and you look at the scenic city fields, particularly starting in 2016, though also 2015. But I think if you look at the fields of the last four years, it ends up being like you almost like a who's who of independent guys, many of whom had not quite broken through yet when they were with us. And I, 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 I'm not claiming credit for their success. They're the guys that work hard and get it done. But part of what I try to do especially is identify those guys just before the wave is about to break. And, and I, I'm, I'm happy to say that I think our tournament has provided at least some momentum for some of them. No, I agree. I think one thing that's neat, and this, this might be like the best thing about pro wrestling, is that we don't get to decide like what's going to be big or what's not going to be big. So like when you say things like you didn't want it to be like Ebola, while it may not have like the fucking international star power of Ebola, the atmosphere though that was created by the tournament, it does put it on that level because... The year before and this past year, there was a lot of buzz surrounding that tournament, and that's created by the atmosphere. And, and like with Anarchy, people ask me all the time, like, "Well, what makes Anarchy different than anything else?" And, and it has nothing to do with like anything other than the atmosphere. It is the people emotionally invest into a situation or an event. And that's what makes it big. So, like, with SCI, you have all these people who are emotionally invested into that weekend and that tournament, and that is what makes it like Ebola. And that that's what's neat about it, I think. And I know that uh, some people from St. Louis come every year. Uh, I'm going to try to make it this year with Evan, who's slipped me to $20 right here live on the podcast to petition to be in the up-and-comer tournament even though he is a 17-year veteran <laughs> of this great sport, well, I thought he was going to be—I thought he was going to be the Haas tournament. Oh no, I won't <laughs> allow it. He—he he <laughs> will not. He will. I won't say which one. He is in a tournament. I'm not. But it's look. not Haas. <laughs> it's so not, there you go. It's not going to be that one. Fuck, man. <laughs> this is bullshit. But uh, no, I, I really like like what I've watched. Like that I watched uh, this past year's tournament. And sitting right in my living room, I think I watched it with Gary. I, I was here too. And I, just, I said, I'm booking uh, Maccabi for uh, Anarchy. And luckily we were able but to make that happen. It's a crime that more people weren't. And like people, like, I, I, so when we booked Daniel, I booked him in November the year before, tw- November 2018. I was like, we brought him to SUP. And actually he worked, uh, well, at the time it was Parnell, but he, he worked Warhorse. And I told him, I, like, I was like, listen, outside the building after the show, I said, listen, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to afford your flight. I don't know. I don't know how, like, we're going to figure this out, but I want you in the tournament, and I want you to be prepared to wrestle three times. Now, at that time, I had no clue he was going to win. In fact, we didn't, that decision was not made until that day, until uh, Saturday night. Uh, that we, we, we had basically kind of created a situation where, I, 
it was going to be either Maccabe, Warhorse, or O'Shea Edwards in all likelihood, but we, we were not certain which of those was going to be the case until that night. And then he got hurt during the, the show on top of it, and we had to rebook everything on the fly. But I, I knew if we had him, I knew if I could get him in front of our fans, then he would connect and would be over. Because he's typically, he's usually a heel. He's a heel most places. And he, and he was, I think, a little bit nervous about, you know, how he was going to be received. And I knew if we put him against Deppin and just let them have their match, it would work. And I think a lot, like, you know, a lot of people, I think, would have tried to um, work a little bit of a different style. They would have been nervous. They would have been like, I'm going to, you know, maybe I have to put more uh, uh, crazy stuff in this match or whatever. But not those two. You know, they were going to have... And here's the other thing about Maccabi. He he had flight trouble and all this other chaos that day. He didn't even get to the building until the show had already started. So that, that whole thing got put together very, very quickly. Uh, and he absolutely killed it. I, I Like Wyatt, I think he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. I really, truly do. I think he's absolutely incredible. And I was, I was overjoyed when you booked him. You know, like to me, that's like... I'll be there in February. I'm coming in February, so. Oh wow, yeah, that like, he, I, I'm a big fan of his style of wrestling. So, yeah, I, I had wanted to book him before this, but I wanted it to be in a situation that that worked for us and then for him. So February was able to happen, and I, I'm really excited to have him in. Um, I think him and uh, Shire is going to be really good. Shire, Shire's another guy up like. An up and comer that's been in the business for thirteen years. Like I think him and Gary won our match of the year for this last year. I think that's what I was told. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't do the vote. Oh, I didn't win anything. No. Best newcomer. <laughs> yeah. uh, Best guy who came back from California. <laughs> uh, so I guess we'll have to start wrapping it up here. So they're gonna Klein will kill me if I don't a- ask you this question, and so will Gary. Uh, why do you think Brock Lesnar is bad? And then the follow-up is, why are you wrong? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, I think Brock Lesnar is a massive detriment to the WWE product. The only question to me is if it's his fault or if it's, I mean, it can't be 100% his fault. But I guess, I guess the question is, is he a detriment because of things that he is politically manipulating and, and involved in on that end? Or is he just a detriment because of how the WWE does stuff? My problem with Brock, aside from the fact that he regularly sandbags guys that he perceives as a threat to his spot, and I think that's more or less beyond dispute, but my, my, big, my biggest problem with him is that he's the only guy who's allowed to be a star in the company. You, there's lit, like there, nobody else is allowed to be a star at all. So he is treated as a guy above and beyond everybody else. And there's now I'm all in favor of hierarchical booking. I actually think one of the worst things about contemporary booking in general, even in promotions I like, is that there's this sort of jumbled mess in the middle where everybody is sort of the same, and I, I hate that. I think you need guys who are in the lower end of the card. You need guys who are in the mid-card. You need main eventers. But 
you do, what you don't need is a guy who is treated as and presented as so exceptional that everybody else that is a regular member of your roster is diminished by his looming presence. And that is more or less how I feel about Brock Lesnar. Now, he's had a lot of great matches, although I think his batting average is much lower than people say it is. But he, he has absolutely had a lot of great matches. And, and I more or less concede the point that Gary always makes when we argue about this, that he's the guy, he, he, his matches feel special. They do because he's the only guy who's allowed to. I mean, I mean, nobody else, there's no one else. I mean, I guess you could argue that sometimes the women's division over the course of the last couple of years has had flashes where some of that feels that way. But by and large, when it comes to the men, no, not a single soul in the company has seemed even borderline relevant. And it largely feels like it is just, it, it, these guys are all just sort of sacrificed on the altar of a part-time dude who has good matches about 40% of the time. So I, I, not a fan. Not, in fact, I, to be totally blunt and to sound like one of those annoying uh, uh, fans that we were talking about earlier uh, with hashtag cancel subscription, uh, I more or less don't watch WWE TV anymore because the looming presence of Brock had just, just totally took me out of the product. So uh, I don't bitch about it. I don't. I don't shit on it like some of these guys do. But I, I really don't watch it very much anymore. Yeah, I can't. I'll have a hard time defending Brock because I don't watch it either. Not because of him, just because my biggest thing. And I, we could go on for another fucking four hours sitting here talking about <laughs> WWE. But my big thing with them is just the lack of consistency in the booking, like in the writing. Like they'll do things in week A that make absolutely no sense two weeks later, and. I just can't do it anymore, and they, I feel like it's a blueprinted TV to where each segment's the same, it's just different people in the segments, so I, I stopped watching. Not even watch- bats all the time. Right. Sometimes <laughs> it's the same segment. Like, I just, I stopped watching it a while ago. I'll, I'll catch some pay-per-views every now and then, like if people are getting together, I'll go watch watch one, but I, I, I'll say I've liked Lesnar's matches I, I like watching him wrestle. I like Brock, but I will agree with you on there is a point where it was almost like, fuck, you had the match with Roman Reigns and the suplexes, suplex city real, really got over. Now you will do nothing but German suplexes and overhead belly to bellies for the rest of your career. That I don't <laughs> like because like, cause at one point before, like before his UFC run, like Brock can work, like he and he still can work, but his matches before were better than his matches now. Even though I still like his matches now, but I will say that I would love to see just a belly to back suplex, maybe a side slam, uh-huh. maybe his trio of power bombs he used to do, maybe not just a German suplex and overhead belly to belly over and over again, or the fucking get the guy in guard and bust him open with your elbows. Like, I, I get your point, trust me. I just I, I just like Brock Lesnar. I, I will say that I think when he wants to, he commits to, like, these big bumps and he don't shy away from, like, that kind of stuff. And That's true. I will say that. That is true. He, he's not afraid to totally throw himself into a bump. Right. And he does not have to. Right. So. so that, like, I respect that about him. Like, 
I don't hate him, but I agreed with mo- I agree with most of you. I would say the closest person to him, like it would be the women's division, which would be Ronda Rousey, who they'll they make is like a big deal, like they do him. But yeah, I, you're not gonna get too much of a pushback from me because I, I just I don't watch WWE enough now to be able to argue anything in their favor. I, personally, for me, I I used to watch it until about a year ago. So I think it, I would put it more whether you think Brock Lesnar sandbags like you do or he doesn't commit to something, he's still only one man who's there. He's a beast. He's a beast who's there a handful of times. So to me, it's WWE not making stars themselves that can rival him. The closest they've come, other than the women's division, is Roman Reigns because Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns. The Shield, but, but Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns, Roman. But Reigns. don't you think that I think that Brock, even though he does get booed sometimes, mm-hmm. Brock would be Roman Reigns if Brock was on TV every week. But but yeah. the way they write Roman Reigns is why everyone hates him, and they would all hate Brock because that would be the same thing. What did you just say? Huh? The way they write. Yeah, well, yeah. I that's, think, I think to me, it, it. It's shitty writing. Well, I don't writing. know if you know this, but they're yeah. working together out there most of the time. Fuck so. you. <laughs> fuck this. Podcast over. I quit. So. Wrestling is real. <laughs> I I would blame it more on the writing than Brock. Yes. Because, like, look at how many people have gotten over organically that they've squashed or been unable to squash. So, like, unable to squash, Brian Danielson. The dragon. The dragon. Able to squash... Rusev, because you can't tell me that he wasn't one of the most over guys on a show when he had that Rusev Day thing going. I don't know. You know, Seth Rollins. Like, they have been able to squash a lot of popular moments, momentum, just because it's not Braun Strowman. I see him dancing a couple weeks ago. Sure, dancing, great. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean, though? Like, they don't know how to make stars anymore. They're too focused on their moments or, or, like... So, to me, there's a difference between an anarchy moment, just an indie moment, let's say. Yeah, millions of dollars. That's the big difference. Well, and it's a a forced moment. You know, Roman Reigns spears someone through the guardrail. It's a a forced moment. Everything was in place. The guardrail was loose. You know what I mean? But Shire getting busted open on a headbutt, that's something you can't create. Right. And that's what, to me, it is. It's they're too focused trying to get the next cool WWE is trying to be a gifable promotion. Well, there you go. Fuck yeah. You hear me, Vince? <laughs> you hear me, Junior? <laughs> Take a fucking run oh, at me. I'm all okay. man. So th- I'll just run across some things I hate real quick. Number one thing being guys and like these old, old time wrestlers that still call that call Vince McMahon Jr. Or call him <laughs> Vince Jr. Or call WWE New York. <laughs> I love it, though. I love it when they call him Junior. Yeah, old Junior's fucking up. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Vince Junior? Oh. Sorry, I've never been to his house. Well, neither have I, but I watched television in the 80s. And here I am. Cool. Well, before we go, anything you want to plug? Uh, you, uh, sure, why not? It's partially my job, so how about this shameless plug? Go over to independentwrestling.tv and uh, subscribe if you haven't already. I don't know why on earth you'd be listening to this show and be unsubscribed to IWTV. But if you are, uh, go go ahead and fix that. Because basically every independent show we talked about, I think, on this podcast is available on that service. And plus, literally hundreds of others. Yeah, so, smart mark uh, video merger. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Which is a huge, 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 huge thing and has made my last week uh, insanely busy also. <laughs> yeah, can't imagine. Being a huge thing. So uh, everybody go over to IWTV. You can follow me on Twitter at Dylan Waco. That's D-Y-L-A-N-W-A-C-O. And uh, all my other stuff is sort of an appendage of my, my personal Twitter. So do that and I'll, I'll yell at you to go follow my other stuff from there. Awesome. Well, we definitely appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, when we, in February, we'll do it in person. Oh, I would love to. I absolutely will do it in February when I'm there. If you, yeah. if you guys will have me again. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's see how the numbers go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. Uh, that was the Dylan Hales interview. We're definitely not doing this as we record in the car after just doing a Patreon. So... Uh, thank you. There was a small audio hiccup, but I think we were able to fix it. Matt's playing on his phone as always, not paying attention to what we're doing. So I just want to say thanks for Dylan for uh, doing this with us. Yeah, and it was a fun interview. It absolutely was. As someone who's never, I think when I think about it, I met him at that uh, Chicago Midwest, Midwest mixtape. Mix yeah. yeah, but we didn't have like a conversation. Yeah, it was just like, hey man, what's up? And yeah, I could be wrong. We're wanting to do more of these, so this was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's see. We're going to be plugging February, the Strong Style Series. Tickets on sale now. INYSS.BPT.me. Quicker turnarounds from events now. Uh, we're recording this, obviously, on the 10th. but So we are, what, 20 or 31 days or something from that event? Something yeah. like that. So it's coming up quick. Uh, so Looks to be real good. Honestly, I'm excited for the debut of Brett Eisen. I've heard a lot of good Several, things. I've three seen. big debuts. Well, on yeah, that card. but I know how good. Like I've watched some Brett Eisen on, you know, IWTV. Use the promo code STL Anarchy for twenty days free, uh, and I liked what I see as far as heavy hitter. So I'm excited to see him go in there. Daniel Macabe, I've seen, and uh, I don't know who else is debuting. Hey, I'm sure Steven. it doesn't. Oh my God! Yeah, I know. I'm excited for anytime we get new people in the Spalding. It's a lot of fun. Is that um, a cancellation? No, no, probably Walter or something. No, no, it's Greg. We'll see what that is. So that's cancellation. Cool. <laughs> um, Rad. So, yeah, I'm excited for the Strong Style series. Uh, you know, this I, I to me like I mean, we're still we haven't had the show yet today, so uh, we'll see how tonight goes. But to me, February is kind of the real test to see how this is going to go because there's such a quick turnaround. Um, so let's. You know, sell those tickets. Uh, if you want to become a member of our Patreon, um, as we announced at the show, as we will be announcing at the show review. Uh, I was just about to get to that. Yeah, yeah. The show reviews are moving to Patreon exclusive. Uh, they'll be for every level, but they are moving over strictly to the Patreon. So, and that's even the two dollar level of just you're yeah. throwing us a little bit of extra, throwing us a little bit of cheddar. Yeah, everyone's going to get the show review, but the show review will no longer be the public podcast. Uh, so sign up at our Patreon at patreon.com slash anarchystl. A lot of content goes up on there. Uh, some of it, you know, mostly it's podcast type stuff, but we, you, you came to the basketball game, did play-by-play. That was fun. I even so, played. So we throw some goofy stuff up there. We try to over-deliver on content what you see on the uh, tier descriptions or what you're guaranteed but we typically over deliver uh and if you have any questions about if we over deliver or not 
tag us on Twitter and you know, see what people say. The Patriots will speak to you. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, uh, March tickets will be going on sale soon. If they aren't already on sale by the time you're hearing me talk, uh, just keep an eye on our social media. And, yeah, I got to check these messages. So. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed the Dylan Hales. And, honestly, we might do it again come February because, as you said, he might be at the February shows. So uh, we'll see you then.